Today on Blue 58, the Packers drop the ball at home in the closest thing they'll probably see to a must-win game this year. What needs to happen now? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Some things for you to consider. Baker Mayfield today had a career-high passer rating of 158.3 and the second-highest passing yardage total of his career. Also today, Rashad White had a career-high 139 yards from scrimmage. Chris Godwin had the third-best game of his career in terms of total receiving yards. David Moore had his best receiving game since 2020, and he didn't even appear in an NFL game in 2022. Yes, that David Moore, by the way, who appeared in one game with the Packers in 2021 before COVID-19 ruined his brief Packers stint. He's back in the NFL and apparently making things difficult for the Packers today. And just for good measure, fullback Co Keeft had his longest catch of the year today. Just two yards, but still. The Packers also gave up 452 net yards on offense today. That is their highest total of the season and the most the Buccaneers have had in a game since Week 17 of 2022. The Packers also gave up 34 points, a season high for the Buccaneers. And the second, the second time this year, the Packers have given up exactly that figure. All of this happened in a game where if the Packers lose, their chance of making the playoffs falls below 30% even if they win out. And here we are. That was allowed to happen in a game the Packers absolutely had to win. Look, I understand making the playoffs was not the point of the season. That is both true and not an excuse. Because making the playoffs is a sign that the Packers are or were further along in their development timeline than we thought. And just two weeks ago, That's exactly what we thought. Everything was ahead of them. Everything was in front of them. They had the chance to control their own destiny on the way to the playoffs. Sure, they were probably never going to to make anything happen once they got there, but at least they were going to be there. Their season wouldn't end after their matchup with the Chicago Bears. Instead, two weeks later, after two, to say disappointing losses really seems to understate it, but after two disappointing losses, we're left wondering what's holding them behind. And it really seems like it comes down to one of two people and potentially both. The easy guy to talk about is Joe Barry, which is still probably true. A couple weeks ago, though, we were talking about the the idea of getting used to him coming back for 2024. Barry seems to have taken that personally trying to discredit everything nice that anyone has said about him over the past couple weeks. After great performances against the Chargers, the Lions, the Chiefs, here are the Packers having given up a combined 58 points to the Giants and to the Buccaneers. At least the Buccaneers were leading their division. There's no excuse for giving up 24 points to the Giants. The guy related to that is Matt LaFleur, who has stuck by Joe Barry through thick and through thin, an awful lot of thin. And when approached about the possibility of making an in-season change at defensive coordinator after the game, had this to say. Bill Huber asking the question, I believe it's Bill Huber, but Lafleur getting the question today about would he fire Joe Barry, 
Here's how he handled it. Matt, would you ever consider in-season change at coordinator? Uh, yeah, I, now's not the time for that, to be honest with you. Why is that? Because now's not the time. I'm trying to find solutions, and um, i got to go back and take a look at the film. Now is not the time because now is not the time. To be fair, it may have meant, he may have meant there now as in right at this exact second, immediately after the game. Maybe we got to go look at the film. Maybe we got to go look at, you know, talk with Joe, see if this was actually the plan. Does he have any excuse for why anybody performed this way? But the bottom line here is that he won't even publicly entertain the idea. Now is not the time. So when would be the time? If you're not going to fire Joe Barry now, what's the point of ever firing him at all? Why do any sort of change at any point? If you're content with what you've seen from Joe Barry in 2021 and 2022 and 2023, broadly the same through all three of those years, why would you not extend his contract? Why would you not just say, yeah, this is it. This is what's good enough. There's never going to be a time to consider a change if now is not the time to do so. If you're not going to do it now, when is it ever going to happen? Here's what I wish someone would have asked Matt LaFleur. Matt, you talk a lot about accountability. You want everybody to do their 111th on the field. You want to talk about you know, coming to work, doing your job every single day. What message does it send to the team when someone's unit consistently underperforms and yet there's no apparent pressure for that person to do better? What message are you sending that it's just okay to be mediocre all the time, to make consistent errors all the time, to have you saying, Matt LaFleur, after a game, we got to be better on run defense. we got to be better in this situation. We've got to not get into situations where this schematic element isn't working. You shouldn't be getting into conversations post-game about what constitutes a down lineman with beat reporters. We're not stupid. This is not you know, 2005 football. We've all got access to all 22. The fan and beat writer understanding of this game has never been more sophisticated than it is right now. Matt, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you putting yourself in a situation where you have to go out there and defend Joe Barry week in and week out, if not now, when? Maybe to put a finer point on this, let's rewind the clock almost exactly five years to a rainy, chilly day at Lambeau Field, not all that dissimilar from what we saw today. That day, December 2nd, 2018, the Packers lost to the Cardinals 20-17, to moving them to 4-7-1 and on the season. And Mike McCarthy, a Super Bowl-winning head coach, was fired that day. Now, I realize there's a lot of reasons that people may or not like Mike McCarthy, You can be frustrated with him. You can say maybe they should have done more in the Aaron Rodgers era. A lot of that may be true. But he's got a heck of a lot more success on his resume than Joe Barry does on his. And if it can happen to Mike McCarthy, why can't it happen to Joe Barry? Why is now not the time? I'm saying this knowing that wherever you are right now listening to this, you can't answer. You probably have the same questions that I do. Because here we sit on a chilly Rainy day in 2023. The Packers have just lost a game at home that they were favored to win and lost it pretty handily. According to RBSDM.com, earningbacksdontmatter.com, the Buccaneers' win probability was never under 50% at halftime. The Packers never had a coin flip chance of winning that game in the second half. 
and it only barely dipped under 75% at any point in the fourth quarter. The Buccaneers were on cruise control at Lambeau Field in a game the Packers had to win. And there was nothing Joe Barry seemed interested in doing about it. So now is not the time, of course. Got to look at the film. Everybody's got to do better. It's on me. We got outplayed and outcoached. And I guess maybe that outcoaching becomes a trend when part of the coaching decision is just allowing the same people to keep making decisions. To kind of rewind the clock maybe just a couple weeks, what does Joe Barry have in his back pocket as far as his argument about holding up his end of the bargain now? The offense didn't play particularly well against the New York Giants, but they still really didn't have a shot because the Giants, well, just kept moving the ball up and down the field. And actually, the offense did have a shot because the offense gave the Packers a lead with 90 seconds to go in that game. In this game, the offense never really did have a shot, and we got a pretty competent offensive performance today. But the Buccaneers just did not look troubled at all moving the ball, completely unbothered by the Packers' defense throughout the entirety of the game. Yeah, Baker Mayfield took a couple sacks. Yeah, he got strip-sacked inside the five. It's telling that the Buccaneers still put up 34 points despite that and were never in danger at any point in the fourth quarter. Let's pull out of the slide a little bit here. Talk about some good things. Yes, the offense did look a little bit more competent today. Probably better even than I'm going to characterize it, because honestly, feeling a little bit bitter right now. You can find some individual plays from this offense performance that look pretty bad. There were some. The fourth and two play where Jordan Love just flat out missed Jaden Reed is one of them. Maybe that's less a Jordan Love issue and more just, or maybe that's less an offense issue and more just a Jordan Love issue. But generally speaking, it looked like the offense had a plan. Early on, it looked like that plan was to just run the heck out of Aaron Jones. He was doing well until, for whatever reason, Matt LaFleur seemed to forget about him. He may have had him on a pitch count. There was some talk about that during the week, and they just used him up early. To that end, I just say, look, we're four games from the end of the season here as they're playing this game, now three games to go. In all likelihood, Aaron Jones might have 100 to, on the outside end, 150 plays left in his Packers career. Again, seems a little bit mean-spirited to say, but use him up. If this is all you're ever going to get out of Aaron Jones, let it fly. Smoke him if you got him. He wants to be out there. He's clearly making a difference in the offense. Let him play. Get a lot out of Aaron Jones. Not swing passes, not check downs. Let him run the ball. Let him do what he was doing early on in this game. It worked. Unfortunately, it wasn't allowed to work often enough. Next good thing, Kenny Clark and Lucas Van Ness in particular getting to the quarterback. Kingsley and Igbari, of course, getting in there as well. But uh, Clark, good to see him get rewarded. His pressure numbers have been trending up over the past couple of weeks. As have Lucas Van Ness's. He's steadily improved over the last month. His season-long pressure rate now inching up toward 9% on the season. Gets another sack, his third of the year now, starting to put it together. You can see him becoming more and more confident week in and week out. I would have to do a pretty detailed look at the film on this, but it looks like of his snaps on the field, he's almost exclusively rushing with his hand on the ground now. That seems to be a change from where he was at earlier in the season. An interesting one to put him in a a situation where he's a little bit more, maybe more along the lines of what he did in college, but if that makes him more comfortable and lets him get after the quarterback a little bit better, Shoot, I say just keep doing it. Then Dontavian Wicks, 97 receiving yards, just 
nothing to add other than that he just looks legit out there. He belongs on an NFL football field. This is something we said of both him and Malik Heath back in training camp. They look like they belong when they're out on the field. It still is true here in December. Wicks more than Heath at this point, but Wicks just looks the part. He looks like he belongs. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He's confident running his routes. He's strong with the ball in his hands. They got a good one, it seems, in Dontavian Wicks in the third round. I Bad stuff, look, I don't know how specific you want to get. I just put one in here, and this is one that I got to give Discord user QHM credit for for sniffing this out as it happened in real time as the Packers were signing the extension. But Devondre Campbell, man, not looking just washed, but looking washed, dried, folded, and put away. The extension that he signed in 2022 should go down as one of the worst in recent Packers history. The timing was bad. He's starting to get to the age when they signed it where he may be starting to break down a little bit physically. He has always, always played a ton of snaps, a huge credit to him. But at a certain point, that's just going to wear you down. And it seems like Devondre Campbell arrived at that point at some time during the 2022 season, and that has only continued into 2023. He is not a difference maker for the Packers defense anymore. In fact, he seems to be somebody opposing offenses are actively exploiting week in and week out. Quay Walker is not in a position to cover for Devondre Campbell anymore, which is an odd thing to say consider how, considering how they put this pairing together. The idea that Campbell would was that Campbell would have to cover for Walker for a while. And because of the timing of their injuries and their availability and things like that, we've never really gotten the full Campbell and Walker experience except for a short run late in the 2022 season. It's now Cam- or it's now Walker for sure ahead of Campbell as the player. And whenever Campbell is on the field, it seems like he just has a target on his back, like teams are going to go after him. It just it's a shame to see it have come to this point and, and get to this point so quickly uh, for Campbell and the Packers. Realistically, I'm not sure there's a, a quick way out of this contract. They may have to do a, a post-June 1st cut next year if they want to move on from him, but it just it looks bad out there, and it looks like he is just at a point where he is a liability for the, the defense whenever he is out on the field. Of course, it doesn't really help when he's not getting put into a position where he can really do anything to help the defense. Uh, Matt LaFleur was asked about that, why it seems like Devondre Campbell ends up covering wide receivers so often. Part of that is just is is normal scheme-related stuff. When you've got, you know, Preston Smith, that was the example earlier this year, Preston Smith covering, I don't even know who it was in the flat. It may have been Amon Ross St. Brown in the first Lions game, or a game a couple... No, it's the Devontae Adams situation. That's what it was. How does Preston Smith end up covering Devontae Adams in the flat? Well, that's just a, a scheme issue. If you're going to have four linebackers on the field and you're a 3-4 base, one of your outside linebackers is going to end up covering the flat with somebody behind him. And that's what happened on that play. So sometimes you're just going to end up with stuff that is schematically sound. It just looks weird and bad. I suspect part of that is what's happening with Devondre Campbell constantly ending up on wide receivers like we saw today. However, there are other things that you can do there. You don't have to rely on schematic decisions that result in Devondre Campbell being out on a linebacker. Unfortunately, that would probably pull Joe Barry away from his some of his personnel tendencies, which is probably a net positive, just forcing him to do some different things. But 
that's probably why that's happening still. It's like, sometimes it seems to me like when you, when you have bad writing on a movie or a TV show and and the writers come out and just say, well, you know, that's, that's the situation the characters ended up in. And at that point, you're looking like a guy in a hot dog suit, just trying to ask, you know, trying to say, we're all looking for the guy who did this here. Like the characters that you wrote and created and invented out of thin air are in this situation because you put them there. The schematic decisions you're making are happening because you made those calls. This is the philosophical thing that you want to do. You have a schematic possibility in your playbook where Devondre Campbell is going to end up covering Chris Godwin. You have to change that. You can't just say, well, it's the scheme. Yeah, it might be the scheme, but you're the guy running the scheme. You're the guy making the decisions. Or if you're Matt LaFleur up there, again, defending this in the press conference after the game, you're the guy that hired the guy who's running that scheme. You hired him, in fact, because this was the scheme that you wanted to run. So not only is Devondre Campbell looking bad, he's getting put in bad situations by guys who don't seem to realize the implications of the decisions that they're making. It's just a spiral of bad stuff stacking up on top of each other. The player is not the player that he used to be, and then the player is getting put in situations where he can't do the things that he's good at anyway because the decision makers are making poor decisions. That started out as just one bad thing. It kind of spiraled into a couple others. So let's just move on and stop talking about specific bad things and go back to talking about general bad things again. What does this all mean? For one thing, it means that we are back in a situation that some of us are pretty familiar with. If you're a Packers fan of a certain age, you remember a season not too far in the past where there was a promising young quarterback and a promising young offense that was being, well, let down by the defense. Let's put it that way. And I'm talking about 2008. And I've written about this a little bit and pulled on some threads, some of the the historical historical perspectives, I guess, have become a little bit clouded. It wasn't like the Packers defense was giving up just lead after lead after lead in 2008 in the fourth quarter. There was plenty of opportunities where the Packers offense had a chance to, you know, either win or tie the game. And either Mason Crosby missed a field goal or they took a lead and then, you know, it was given up on on a miraculous, you know, rally late or something like that. But for broad comparison purposes, we're seeing the same thing we saw in 2008. The offense is starting to piece things together. They, you know, recovered after their blip of a bad performance last week. And here's the defense saying, well, you know, you, we, you let us down last week at times, so we're going to let you down a whole bunch this week. But to bring things back to 2023 from the ever-increasingly distant past of 2008, it's not just how the defense let things down today, or it's not just that they let us down today, let the offense down today. It's how. It wasn't a big broken play. It wasn't one thing that the defense or that the offense was doing. It was just body blow after body blow through the air and on the ground again and again and again. We've seen games where the defense looks like their heads are spinning. They are just confused they are being out-schemed and out-coached by a brilliant offensive mind on the other side. And to take nothing away from what the Buccaneers did today, this was not that. This was the Buccaneers running stock offense stuff, just the most basic Madden recommendation type plays. Corner routes, 
to Chris Godwin, screen passes to Chris Godwin, short passes that can rupture into big gains with your your catch-and-run guys, just being fast little shifty dudes, post routes to Mike Evans, just basic sort of stuff. Rashad White up the middle again and again and again. And I don't know if I... I used the exact terminology in the preview podcast, but it seemed like he was the the exact sort of guy who the Packers were going to allow or well allow to have a career day, and that was basically what happened. A career-high 139 yards from scrimmage for Rashad White. So here we are again. The Packers' defense looking inept as they head into the true danger zone next week. The Packers play the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. Now, the Panthers are bad. They're really bad. They're bad. Like, I'm not going to say the Packers are a good team. The Packers are also not a bad team in the same way that the Carolina Panthers are a bad team because the Panthers won today, which was just their second win of the season. And last I checked, the Packers had about three times that many wins, which is significantly better. But the Panthers have fired their coach, making some changes, and maybe... Just maybe they smell blood in the water. And I just want to point out that the Panthers have not won consecutive games since week two and week three of the 2021 season. Well, they won today, and that gives them a chance to do something they haven't done now in a couple of years. And if Joe Barry is still coaching next week and Joe Barry loses to the Panthers, the excuse-making in that post-game press conference is going to be truly remarkable. Let's talk some rookies here. Lucas Van Ness, of course, we talked about him in passing already. Sack quarterback hit three tackles and an assist today. He is just coming along. As is Jaden Reed continues to show the, the versatility he has in game in his game on offense. Six catches for 52 yards, including a beautiful touchdown between Jordan Love's throw and his catch, one of the best touchdowns of the year so far, I think, for the Packers. But he ends up averaging just 8.7 yards per catch today because he does a lot of stuff out of the backfield in whatever version of the Packers offense Matt LaFleur was trying today. It seemed like they were essentially using him like a running back. I don't love that for Jaden Reed, but I get why they were doing that today. With Aaron Jones just in his first game back from his knee injury, with A.J. Dillon out with his broken thumb, the Packers just didn't have a ton of options at running back, and that's a way that you can get Jaden Reed involved and do give the give the defense a little bit of a different look. I just don't think it's necessarily the best use of Jaden Reed's skill. Just let him be a receiver, because when he does his wide receiver stuff, he seems to do it pretty, pretty well. Speaking of doing things pretty well, Tucker Kraft, four catches, 50, 70 yards, and a touchdown. I love that the Packers' touchdown for him was drawn up specifically for Tucker Kraft. That is the play that they wanted to get him on. And if you were familiar with Tucker Kraft's highlights out of South Dakota State, it looks an awful lot like some of the tunnel screens that they like to run for him, just trying to get the ball in his hands. And that was a good place to do it, right down by the goal line. And he powers up and over the top for the touchdown. Great, great day for Tucker Craft, really rounding into form. I think the Packers are going to have a pretty dynamic tight end duo next year. Colby Wooden, just one tackle on the day today. Sean Clifford, another DNP. Fantastic work, Sean. We love that from you. Keep doing a great job. Dontavian Wicks, nine catches, 97 yards. Again, just looking the part on offense. He he belongs out there. If you are on the gambling circuit at all and you're hitting over-unders, I hope you've been banging the over on Dontavian Wicks each and every week because he's delivering week in and week out. Um, 
I don't know if Vegas is going to catch wise here anytime soon, but he's making a lot of people who are betting the over on his yardage totals a lot of money. Uh, Carl Brooks just one assist today, so he and Wood in relatively quiet days. I've got something that I had actually in my notes for the last podcast that I want to talk about probably this week. Statistically, he and Colby Wooden have really kind of um, arrived at almost the exact same spot uh, in in a new metric that I want to introduce to our, our Blue 58 kind of glossary of stats here in the near future. Uh, he still gets pressure at a pretty decent rate, but they are looking more and more similar as the season goes on. I'm very intrigued with where both of their careers end up. I think there's some interesting things that you could do with Colby Wooden. I would argue you probably should just turn him into a stand-up end at this point. Make him into a 4-3 style defensive end or a stand-up edge rusher. Just let him play the position that his body seems to be built for. Stop trying to make him into an interior rusher or let him stand up or something. I don't know. Let him use his athleticism a little bit more. We're getting a little bit far afield here, but I, I wish the Packers would just be a little bit more flexible there. You drafted a guy with a bunch of versatility. Let him be a little bit more versatile. Continuing on our list of rookies, Anders Carlson, all four of his kicks good today. Two for two on field goals, two for two on PATs. It seemed like a real adventure on every kick today. Heard from a couple of people in the stadium that it was pretty windy at Lambeau Field today, which is not unusual, but you could see that ball moving a lot. But kicking is the ultimate results over process business. If it goes through the uprights, it doesn't matter how it looked on the way there, just that it went through, and it did every single time for Carlson today. Carrington Valentine, talk about stats, four tackles, a pass defense, looks pretty okay just in the box score, but we really got to see the film on this one because it didn't seem like the Buccaneers had any problems at all moving the ball down the field. So let's put out the the bat signal on taking a look at Carrington Valentine this week. A couple of our tape grinders out there might have to take a look at that one for us. We really got to see what he was up to on this one, whose fault it was that all those big gashing plays were going down the field. Anthony Johnson was active but had no stats today rounding out the Packers draft class. In terms of undrafted free agents, Malik Keith had uh, three catches, 29 yards, another solid mid-range sort of player. We'll talk about the Packers' um, limits in that area of the passing game here in our, our notable little nuggets section. I'm trying not to steal something from the Acme Packing Company Uh, Unpack podcast. Maybe we should just call them Notable Nuggets just as a a tribute to them. I love the show, guys. Keep doing a great work. Uh, But uh, anyway, in terms of the the undrafted free agents, Heath, another solid solid game today. Still looks a little bit limited by his speed, but another big rugged receiver. The goons, as Matt LaFleur likes to say, um, he looks like another one in, in the vein of an Alan Lazard or something like that. Solid game for him. Nice to see him rounding into form. Uh, Emmanuel Wilson still on injured reserve. Brenton Cox was inactive today, and Ben Sims, to round things out, was targeted once, had no catches on the day. All right, let's clean out the notebook with a couple observations and thoughts and then send you on your way toward a, well, not a victory Monday, a loss recovery Monday. How about that? It's still going to be Sunday night for us. We do have a great recovery routine for Sunday nights, though. Sunday night at Blue 58 headquarters is ice cream night. Win, lose, or draw, we're having ice cream on Sunday nights. So after we, we're getting done taping here, we're going to go have some ice cream, and that'll be it for, for our weekend of football. But um, in the meantime, solid-looking matchup today. What a joy it is to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in their 
more traditional uniforms. Their brief aside into those alarm clock font uniforms a couple years back, proving to be a greater and greater historical mistake there. This is what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers should look like if they're not going to wear their creamsicle outfits, and I understand why they don't want to do that regularly. This is what they should be wearing. They looked great, looked like the classic NFC Central matchups that we used to watch in the early 2000s prior to the NFC North's existence. Just good, good stuff. Um, On offense, this is more of a feeling than anything, but maybe just a rhetorical question. How much did the Packers miss Christian Watson and Luke Musgrave? I know the general feeling on Watson has been down this year. I certainly am in that camp as well. I am not the the most excited about what he's brought to the Packers this year. But prior to his injury, things were getting a little bit better. It just seems apparent that without him and without Musgrave, the Packers have nothing going on really down the field. Even if Love can't get the ball there, just the threat of Watson or Musgrave going either down the sideline or up the seam. Isn't that funny how you say that? You go down a sideline, but you go up the seam. In any case, um, no threat of them out there just changes the dynamics of the Packers' offense. Maybe that still works, given what Jordan Love can do in the short and intermediate range of the field with his different off-platform throws and things like that. But it still seems like a significant missing element for this Packers' offense. Speaking of Love... I don't know if it was the wind and him trying to throw the ball differently today, but it seemed like there were several throws where we saw more velocity from Love than we've seen either recently or perhaps ever before. I think that's a promising sign. He's really cutting it loose, especially on a couple slants. One in mind to Dontavian Wicks really sticks out, and then his throw up the sideline uh, to uh, Jaden Reed in the corner of the end zone there. That ball was really coming in a hurry. Nice to see. And uh, just shows the tools that he has in his arsenal when he chooses or is able to harness them. Sticking on offense, I think we do need to call some attention to the fact that Bo Melton was active today up from the practice squad. And not just active, but active ahead of Samori Ture, who actually had a pretty productive afternoon last week for the Packers. Melton, I thought, was going to to catch the short end of the stick today, having his first career catch called back due to a holding penalty on Josh Myers. He did end up getting another catch, though, so his first career catch in the NFL goes down as a seven-yard gain. Uh, Interesting for him and exciting for him, and uh, interesting for us that he was active again ahead of Samori Ture. Speaking of active and being involved in the offense, involved in some air quotes there, Kenyon Drake got a touch. Uh, his first as a member of the Green Bay Packers, so hooray for Kenyon Drake. Unfortunately, didn't go for there. In fact, almost turned into a disaster as the ball very nearly appeared to be fumbled between him and Love on the exchange. He was able to hang on to it, and at least it seemed get back to the line of scrimmage. Returning to the lineup on defense, Eric Stokes was back on defense for the first time since Week 9 of the 2022 season. In his first return from injury earlier this season, He only played on special teams. He was back on defense today. He did get beat by Mike Evans on a touchdown throw, which is a bummer. Unfortunately, better men than than Eric Stokes have been beaten by by Mike Evans, so no great shame there. Not great, of course, but you shouldn't feel necessarily bad about getting beaten by a Hall of Fame caliber player on your first week back in the lineup after a a career-threatening injury. I think most mostly the important thing here was that Eric Stokes was back in the lineup and he was getting snaps ahead of Corey Ballantine, 
who had been holding down the spot opposite of Carrington Valentine for quite some time. So we need to happen, see what happens really at this point once Jair Alexander comes back from whatever injury appears to be bothering him at the moment. Is it a shoulder? Is it back? Is it something else? He said he was going to lie to us. So I suppose we don't really know for sure. We also don't know what their their cornerback situation is going to look like once Alexander comes back, but I, I guess that is just a question for another day. Finally, J.J. Inigbari got his second sack of the season today, still one behind last year in terms of his overall total, but he, like Lucas Van Ness, has actually been coming along pretty strongly over the past couple of weeks. A bit of a slow start to the season, but seems to be rounding into form as the season wears on. So maybe the Packers still can salvage some edge depth this year. A bummer. Really no two ways about it. This one is a real frustrating game. I know, again, that the playoffs were never the goal for this season. But making the playoffs doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good team or even a great team. The Packers can make the playoffs without being a good team. And I think they still are a ways from being a good team because I think at the, the end of the day, the, the real hallmark of a good team is that you're consistent. The Packers certainly aren't consistent right now. They're consistently frustrating and consistently disappointing and consistently confusing in terms of what they're doing with their defensive coordinator situation. And who knows, maybe we get some breaking news here before we all hit the hay yet tonight. But uh, just continuing to expect the same results from doing or different results from doing the same thing again and again and again with no prospect for changing and just your eternal defense of saying, you know, we got to look at the tape. It's on me. We got to get better. What if there were some concrete ways that you could get better just by making one significant change? A thought and something that Matt LaFleur should, I think, take seriously between now and the end of the year. In any case, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and donate to our charity fundraiser. We are raising funds for Aaron Jones A&A All the Way Foundation. Head to thepowersweep.com, click the banner at the top, or just check the the notes, uh, the, the link in your notes of this episode on your phone to get details on how to do that and what you stand to win if you participate or could stand to win if you participate. It'd mean a whole lot to me if you would uh, take a second and consider doing that. We can support some great charitable work done by one of the great Packers of our time, Aaron Jones. If you can't do that, go ahead and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.